Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and I'm here with special guest and my friend, Jonathan Frizz, who is the founder and director of the ministry called 10 Days. And we're going to be talking today about Christian unity and what does it mean for the body of Christ to be in unity together? What does it mean that we would be one? And if you've ever experienced turmoil, disunity, disconnection, division in the church, you're not alone, but we believe that God has more for us. And uh, did you know that there are 30,000 different Christian denominations? So the body of Christ has been divided into 30,000 different groups, denominations, movements, streams of the church. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And we're going to talk about all these kinds of things today on the podcast. It's going to be a fun discussion. We're going to go big picture. We're going to go very personal for you guys because we want you to be equipped and empowered to participate in what we believe is God's desire for unity in the church, in seeing the body of Christ work together and glorify Jesus through being one with him and one with one another. So Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Matthew, so good to see you, man. Great to be together. Excited to do this. Yeah, for sure. Well, just take a minute, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about 10 Days. Sure, yeah. So I'm Jonathan Frizz. I live in Western Massachusetts, somewhere two hours west of Boston. As Matthew shared, I, I lead a ministry called 10 Days. We are focused on seeing citywide churches come together for 10 entire days of, of consecration, of prayer together, worship together. And so John 17, unity is what I like to call it, John 17 unity, because it kind of draws attention to Jesus' prayer in John 17. That's sort of at the heart of what we do and of our vision for what we want to see God do in the church is to see citywide churches be one as uh, the Father and the Son are one. And really the way we try and get there is through united prayer. That's our our means to get there. Beautiful. And so during the fall feast times, there's what's called the 10 days of awe. This is on the original calendar that God gave to the people of Israel. And that's the 10 days that I know that you guys invite people to gather together in their cities and pray together. Beautiful vision. How many people, just kind of give people an idea of the scope of kind of what's happened the last couple of years through 10 days. Yeah, yeah. It's been a real process. You know, I got this vision in 2004. I was 22 at the time. And we've just seen a lot of growth in the last several years. Um, in 2020, we saw over 150 separate gatherings happening where people were coming together to pray during these uh, 10 days of awe. And then last year, somewhere between two and 300 different gatherings all over the world. One of the cool things that's happened, especially the last two years, is we've seen just a lot of growth internationally and a lot of connections, even in closed nations, places where we can't always advertise where they're meeting for prayer, but yeah. just seeing some really amazing moves of, of unity and prayer in those nations as well. Amazing. That's awesome. Well, we'll be sure to include the links in the show description so that people can, can connect with you guys and learn more. Obviously, you already said John 17, so this is important for you guys and, and for you, for your ministry. You said since 2004, this has been something that's been on your heart. And one of the questions I wanted to ask, which we may have talked about, but if so, I can't remember the answer to this, but how did this thing really start to develop in your heart uh, where you begin to even care about unity in cities among different churches? Because most people, they just kind of go on with their life. They're part of their own church and they're happy to just be a part of their own church. But there's some of us that go, hey, <laughs> we should see churches work together in a greater way. Uh, how did that kind of desire and vision begin to stir in you personally? Yeah. You know, for me, it was even when I was a kid, 
my dad was a pastor and I was just bothered that there were these different denominational groups. And I was like, why is it this way? And how come this group doesn't get along with that group? Why can't we all take communion together at the same time? Like I would ask my dad things like this. And so it's sort of like definitely in me as a kid that this was something I cared about. So I think, yeah, there's just some of that DNA there from the beginning. In 2003, I had a real personal spiritual revival and awakening personally. And so I was kind of in a season of like figuring out, okay, God, what, what are you calling me to do with my life? And in 04, so I was a senior in college, it was my spring break, and I took like a six day long drive by myself in my car. I started in St. Louis, Missouri, and I ended up in Santa Fe. Santa Fe is where my wife was and where we went to college in St. Louis is where my my parents were. I just drove across the country and I was just like asking God, like, what do you want me to do with my life? What am I called to do? And this item of Psalm 133, John 17, this was really highlighted to me by the Lord during that like six, seven days of just devoting myself to prayer, waiting on God. It was like, wow, this is actually these little threads from my youth, sensing these things growing up. This isn't just an isolated thing, but it's actually part of what God's called me to do. So I kind of came out of that car ride sensing, you know, God had called me to be part of uniting the church. I had this sense that prayer was going to be really important to that, that, you know, prayer would somehow lead to revival and outpouring of the spirit and then a great harvest and that these four elements would kind of be be present. And it's interesting. It's still kind of what I'm doing uh, to this day. So, but that, that was part of the process for me. I think for those of you who may be on the front ends of your journey with the Lord, take those opportunities early on. It's kind of like at the beginning of a relationship, if you're married, you know, like really special things can happen at the beginning of a relationship or the beginning of a period of Mm -hmm. relationship that can define the rest of your life. And so like, take that time to like, go for it with God, do something crazy, like jumping in your 86 Lincoln town car and and driving 6,000 miles just to be alone with Jesus. Because God can honor things like that. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Especially when you're young and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't mind sleeping in the car. I think about that. I was like, I don't <laughs> think I would, I don't think I'd still be down for that now. Right. Although right. the Lincoln had big seats. So it was a nice. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say all the time, I, I don't regret any of the crazy things I did for Jesus when I was young. I don't think anyone would. Just going hard, going wild going all in for Jesus, very young, best thing you can do. Yeah, just go for it. And, and you know, it's funny too, I don't feel any need to repeat now that I'm older. I'm like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel really like I was really happy with that. And I'm really happy now, maybe not being quite as intense, but just like continuing on in the pathway that, that yeah. was laid out. Yeah, maybe not as intense. You're still very passionate though, for Jesus. There's still, <laughs> there's still that fire brewing. Amen. Let it be, man. Let's try to give some definition to unity here because we're we're kind of talking about unity. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you feel like God is actually desiring for the church. I'll I'll read a couple verses. I know you might have some too, but Ephesians 4, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then verse three is the key here, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Then down in verse 13, he also says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the son of God, mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then there's many other passages, Romans 15, where he prays that God would grant that we could live in harmony with one another and unity with one another, um, that we would with one mind and one voice glorify God. And so you have a number of these passages. You referenced John 17, Psalm 133, about the importance of unity and the desire for unity. Paul desired it in the churches. Jesus prayed it and desired it. David sang about it in Psalm 133. 
So, so sort of what is, what is God after here? Because, you know, I said there's 30,000 denominations. Do we need to get rid of all denominations? Like, is that, is that where this thing is headed, <laughs> you know, or, or is there something else going on? Yeah, it's interesting. I love that Ephesians passage. And sometimes people say we don't need to go for unity. We already have it. We just need to maintain it. But that kind of overlooks the second part that you read, you know, 413, where Paul is saying, until we attain the unity of the faith. And it's clearly somewhere that we're headed, somewhere that we, you know, we may have a measure of unity that we need to maintain. <laughs> Let's not go backwards. But right. Paul makes it sound like it's this amazing thing that we're going to. And he says, I'm just going to read it again. We attain the unity of the yeah. faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're coming to attain unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of a stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so like what I see there is Paul is speaking about a future moment when the church, so in other words, the church, we're headed somewhere. We're headed to a place. And then he's giving us different, he's like giving us different uh, language holds on what that means. So where we're going is a place called unity. Where we're going is a place called maturity. It's a place where we have full knowledge of the Son of God. And it's a, a measure of stature that is fullness. And so I think all of those things, fullness, the fullness of Christ, the mature stature, the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that's all talking about the same reality. And, and it's the same reality, I think, that is described in Revelation 19, where you see this bride that's, that's mature, that's beautiful, that's pure and spotless. I think it's the same thing that's talked about in Ephesians 5, where Paul once again talks about that bride that is washed and that is, is presented, you know, holy, pure, spotless, pristine. You know, all of these are talking about the same things. And so, anyway, I'm getting excited. Sorry. Preach. I, th I think what's, what Paul is talking about here is a pre-eschatological reality mm. of the church coming into a place of maturity. You might need to define pre-eschatological. Right, right. People. So what I mean by that is like before Jesus comes back, before the Lord returns, he's saying the church is going to be fully built. It's going to be full. There's going to be uh, this beauty, this holiness, this power, this maturity, this unity that characterizes the church, and that's the church that Jesus is coming back for. And this is something that that God is planning to do in and through us. And so we have a destination even in this age, even before Jesus comes back. God's taken us to this place. But I think thinking from Ephesians four, like wow, unity isn't just oneness between people, but it's characterized by maturity. It's characterized by a fullness of a mm. sense of God's presence, understanding this is giving us a complete picture of what we're supposed to look out for. I tell people all the time, like holiness and unity corporately are the same thing. Like wow. if we're one, that's we're good. also holy and we're also mature, all these different things. So anyway, that's, that's what I think Paul's talking about there. People may disagree with that. I think he sees us prophetically headed to a place prior to when Jesus comes back, when yeah. as, as his people, we come into this unity and incredible maturity where we're going to be evenly yoked to our husband, Jesus. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. I love the connection to maturity uh, and holiness in that, that we're not just trying to, trying to get along. <laughs> when we're immature, it's going to be futile, right? Because we're going to lack the love, lack the humility, all those other things that are in that first part of the Ephesians 4, right? Humility, right. gentleness, patience, bearing one another. How can you do those things if we're not becoming more like Jesus and therefore able to walk in those fruits of his spirit, those characteristics of Christ, and therefore we can grow in love for each other, and therefore that unity can, uh, can really be manifested. Right. Yeah, I think in that first part, Paul's talking about, practically speaking, like this is the kind of stuff we need to do. But then he's jumping out to the macro, and he's saying, hey, this is where we're going. This is what God is doing big picture with all of us. And so let's do these little things, recognizing they're part of this bigger picture that God is wanting to, to release through his people.
Yeah, I love that. There's so many scripture about this. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 has come into my mind where Paul describes the body of Christ and he describes each part working together, doing their share. And he's talking about spiritual gifts there, but he, but he kind of paints this picture of the church functioning in unity, each part of the body using their spiritual gifts, serving one another, loving one another, and demonstrating Christ to the world because they're manifesting Jesus. They're being the body, the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth when they uh, move together in unity in a beautiful way. It's kind of that same picture, that same idea of the church growing in unity. But, uh, you know, we each have a little part to play, right? Right. I think that's one thing that's been missing in the past from movements focused on holiness or maturity, spiritual growth, et cetera. It's just recognizing, hey, there is an element of that that's personal, obviously, but the bigger picture of it is is a corporate reality. Mm. So we kind of need to keep both of those in relation, recognizing you can't just be like holy off on your own, uh, mature off on your own. Like actually what God's really after is like a corporate reality of this. I don't know. I think that's a kind of a cool element to it. Our personal maturity and holiness and sanctification is tied to the way we interact with one another within the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I heard somebody say once, you know, cause we're, we're kind of in a, we're kind of in a prayer movement, right? We focus a lot on prayer, spiritual disciplines, fasting, worship. I heard somebody once say, you know, our, our spiritual maturity is not, it's not just our spiritual disciplines, but it's how we relate to each other. That's really where you see if we're walking in maturity or not. Some people think that, oh, well, I'm fasting regularly and I'm praying more and therefore I'm becoming more spiritual or more mature. And, and there's an element to where that is connected. But the way you really see that manifesting is, is in how we relate to each other. And I think the unity that we can have with one another, learning to walk out those things. That's interesting. I haven't thought deeply about that, but you're provoking me to think about these, <laughs> this, this beautiful relationship between how we relate to each other, holiness, and yeah, it's good. I think that's really true. I think you could even say, so the fruits of righteousness, like all these spiritual disciplines or prayer, fasting, et cetera, it's supposed to produce fruits of righteousness in us, right? That's, mm. that's part of the goal. That's something that then is eternal, that lasts forever. I'm kind of referencing... Uh, Philippians 1 verses 9 through 11 right now. So God's love is poured out in us and then it it produces these fruits of righteousness. But that fruit of righteousness is expressed primarily towards one another. And so it's primarily, you know, like it's primarily manifesting in love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all these different fruits of the spirit, righteous deeds for other people. And so yeah, if we're doing a lot of time in prayer, et cetera, but we're not having that outflow towards one another, that's a big sign like something's off uh, right. and we're missing. <laughs> we might want to go back. Uh, Lord, is there a wire cross there? We... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great sign that we're probably becoming kind of religious in our approach to. Yeah, exactly. Our, and, exactly. And, and rather than really connecting to God's heart in a real way. So. On the other side, I think there is a beautiful connection between prayer and unity. I mean, you, your ministry is all about coming together in unity for prayer. I think about Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, says they were there in one accord. They were praying. God poured out His Spirit. I mean, that was 10 days <laughs> before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Have you seen some connections between those two things where prayer and unity go hand in hand or any kind of cool stories from what you guys have been doing where you've you've seen you know the value of either prayer fostering unity or unity leading to more prayer or anything like that yeah i think i think prayer unites people like nothing else one way it does that is just through you know when we pray the presence of god is released and I think a lot of people who pray like you know we just love being in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is there, we experience oftentimes mm. unity with one another in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. I could get into some of the theology of why that is the case, but let's just say that's definitely an experience that many of us have had. 
you know, another part of prayer, if it's collaborative prayer, is that when we pray, we share our heart, like we speak to God from our heart, and then that makes it easy to love each other because we we recognize Jesus in one another. Like I've been in lots of prayer meetings with different leaders, and you know, when you hear them like weeping over the lost or or crying out to God for uh, a great revival repenting of their sin, you know, whatever it is, like it really connects you to their heart. All of a sudden, this is someone goes from being maybe someone you feel like, oh, they're, you know, maybe you feel intimidated or scornful or, you know, we can have all kinds of reactions to different people, whatever. But, you know, when you hear someone just being like sharing their heart, you recognize it's the same heart as yours. It it connects you to them deeply. And so that's another way that prayer can really connect us So yeah, we definitely see a lot of unity through this happening. I'll just give one example from today, just since it's fresh in my mind. I was talking to a group that's doing 10 days in a uh, closed nation. It's a Muslim nation. I'll just be a little vague. But they were just talking about how since last year, the incredible upsurge in unity that they're seeing, both among Native populations and among different streams of missionary populations that have been kind of separate. And they're just like, no, it's amazing. We've seen one, a weekly prayer meeting happen every week since we did 10 days together. Actually, it was two weekly prayer meetings, but one, especially that they were focusing on. And then two, just even without without them being directly involved, just seeing greater collaboration and unity happening on the mission field since they did this this 10-day prayer event together. Mm. My, let me just share this too. This is like a really powerful one for me. My first time really doing 10 days as I had envisioned it was in 2007. And we were in kind of a retreat setting. Part of our our deal is we invite people to take 10 days off of work and really set aside the whole time period. And so this is my first time. We've got a very diverse group of people. We're doing 10 days. We're all taking 10 days off from work. All we're doing is praying. And that's really all we're doing, praying and worshiping. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it was about the second day, everyone starts commenting on what's happening. You know, what's with this unity? What's with all the love that we're experiencing? And everyone's bringing up all the scriptures that, you know, a lot of the ones we've mentioned, John 13, John 17, uh, the epistles that talk about preserving the unity, love for one another, honoring each other above ourselves. Yeah, I'm just like, what's going on? And maybe by day three, I was like, oh my goodness, we are we are experiencing a measure of what Jesus prayed for in John 17. He just dumped it. We weren't teaching on it. We weren't talking about it. He just started releasing it on us as we prayed and worshiped. And it was it was so amazing. I mean, like experientially, it was it felt like you're in heaven, not earth. I mean, you just wow. it, I don't know. It's just a it's a different feeling. Uh, one thing I say is when you look around the room and you're like, why do, why do I irrationally love these people? You know, that's like, a, <laughs> like I don't even, that's a sign like, wow, there's some, there's an extra measure of that um, heavenly love being added. And I think that's maybe a, a small experience of, of John 17, but a significant one. Yeah. Um, so anyway. I love it. That's been my my experience as well. Unity around the presence of God. I, I think that's that's crucial. And you know, for awaken the dawn, high value for us is gathering around the presence of God in unity. That's our desire when we host tent gatherings and encourage others to host tent gatherings. Uh, is to pull the church together, but do it around the presence of God. Do day and night prayer and worship. And uh, it allows some of those walls uh, to come down and, and to melt. I, I looked up this quote here as, as you were sharing. It reminded me of a Francis Chan quote from his book called Until Unity, which I haven't read, but I've read this quote. He says, it's hard to start an argument with someone who's on their knees shouting praises to Jesus, especially when you're blessing the Lord as well. And so just kind of that idea that uh, being together, like you said, Jonathan, seeking the Lord together really does kind of bring down our defenses and, uh, and help, helps us to come together in a mm. beautiful way. Well, um, I want to give you a chance to talk about John 17, because I know you love this passage and Jesus's prayer, and I do too. It's, it's a huge 
value for for me, for I know David Bradshaw, founder of Awaken the Dawn. Honestly, I was going to say this earlier. I think David and you, Jonathan, are probably two of the people I've seen more than more than any go after unity among ministries, among churches, among movements, and labor to see that. And so you're excited, you're passionate about John 17, but you're also doing the hard work of trying to collaborate with others and build bridges and relate to people different than you. And it's really awesome to see the Lord uh, release His grace as you guys do that. So this is the prayer of Jesus, John 17. It's the longest prayer we have in the scripture recorded of Jesus, and He prays for unity. Uh, So yeah, Jonathan, why is this passage so important to us and to you? And just feel free to dive into it. Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. Yeah, man. I mean, I always tell people John 13 to 17 is, Mm. it's like the filet mignon of the Bible. You know, it's the (laughs) best, it's just the best part. It's really, And it's, it's such a amazing, and it's because it gives us such an amazing insight into Jesus heart and, and the father's heart. And there's such amazing promises in it. You know, I would just highlight, I'd want to highlight one, just the amazing nature of what Jesus prays. And he prays it three times. By the way, like there are so many treasures in here. Every time I talk to someone about this, I learn something new about John 17. And so just want to encourage you to pray about it, study it, dive into Mm it. Um, Yeah. But, you know, this, this incredible prayer, let them be one just as we are one. So just to meditate on that for a minute. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is praying to the first person of the Trinity, the Father, you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit and asking that we would be one, his disciples would be one, just as they are one. It's mind blowing. When you when you get when you get into the Greek, the Greek word for just as there, uh, it means just as. It means exactly what it says. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so he's really praying for the same degree, intensity, type of unity that the Father and Son have eternally experienced together to be experienced between his disciples. And he's praying for us on earth. Like he's praying for us now. This is once again pre eschatological. It's before, like, that would be mind blowing enough if it's like we're going to be in heaven and we're going to experience. Right the unity that the father and son have with each other, the love, everything we'll experience that in heaven. That would be, we, how could we, how does that even make sense? But he's praying for it for us now in the midst of the evil age with, with indwelling sin, with all the different problems we know we have. And, you know, you're just like, okay, I told the Lord, you know, I would not, if this wasn't in the Bible, I would, I would think it was heresy. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just so outrageous. But the one thing I also always like to draw out for people is that we would just believe that Jesus' prayer is good theology and that Jesus is going to get what he prayed for. 
Mm. And, and so I think this ties directly into Ephesians 4. Jesus and Paul are talking about the same reality. They're looking ahead and they're saying a day is coming when the church, my, my church is going to be one just as the father and son are one. It may seem impossible to us, but God has a plan to answer Jesus' prayer. And, and just think, can you imagine the father not answering Jesus' prayer here? I mean, that would be like, that would be the biggest scandal. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, dad, you know, like I prayed this right before I died. You're, you're, you're not going to do that one. It's too hard. Oh, okay. Well, I think it's pretty I, no. locked in. Yeah, it's locked in. It's like, I'm just saying. And so we, I, anyway, it, it seems impossible that we could experience that kind of unity and it violates our experience because we haven't experienced that in the church. We haven't really known what that looks like. But I think we should all get a hundred percent behind Jesus' prayer, and just you know the fact that anyway, I, I'm I, I'm just like no, I'm with Jesus on this one. This is going to happen, and then just ask the Father, how can we be part of that? So anyway, I kind of talked for a while there. I got I probably got more to say, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. It's it's profound. I, I think unity is one thing. You know, we say we want to be in unity. People have different ideas about what that means. But to say that we're going to be one as the Trinity is one, which is as one as it gets. <laughs> right. The Lord your God is one. You know, that was what that was what the Jewish people would say. And uh, because he is Yahweh is one. And yet we're going to somehow be in that kind of unity. It is a a miracle. I mean, it will be a miracle and it will be supernatural. It will be a sign and a wonder as the church somehow begins to operate on this kind of oneness together. Right, right. I, I mean, I think sometimes we get people in the same room not fighting and we think we have unity. And <laughs> being in I the mean, it's same better room. better than if they're fighting. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely better. Like, I've been in the same room fighting. I've been in fighting in different rooms and same room not fighting is great. I'm not complaining about it. <laughs> I'm just saying that's not what Jesus prayed for. Right. Like it it is as different from what Jesus prayed for as a campfire is from the sun. It's like mm. they're both fire. The difference is just immense. And so we can't be content with same room not fighting if we're not like we need to be pursuing what Jesus prayed for and laying hold of it. And and since we can't do it in the natural like the only way that makes sense to pursue it is in prayer. <laughs> like, there you go. We can't do it. How do you do this? I don't know. Well, let's pray. Exactly. That's right. exactly it. It can only come from heaven. Yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things Jesus prays for there is, is that we would be one with each other, but also that we would be with him where he is, that we would be in unity with him, one with him. And I think that's the key. And we obviously do that through prayer. That's how we facilitate that being with him is through prayer and worship. We are with him in his presence. I think, again, of 1 Corinthians 12, when you, when you talk about the body of Christ, that we're connected to the head, who is Christ. And I think there's that connection between, or that relationship between us staying connected to God himself, staying connected to Jesus, and that as we do that, he is going to manifest himself through us and bring that oneness. We can't do it on our own. Yeah, absolutely. We we have to be it has to be in him. Yes. But it's like a corporate thing where we, you know, are also in each other and it becomes like this expanded trinitarian love realm that it now includes not just the father, son and spirit but us. Yeah. Um awesome. there's three kind of things that he highlights maybe four, we could count it different ways. But he highlights when he prays for unity, you know, being guarded in the Father's name, which I think is like knowing our identity, being preserved in the Father's name. Mm. Like that's a key. He says, so that they may be one. He says, repeats about knowing the name, the Father's name again, but that he, we would know that the Father has loved us as he loved Jesus. And so a key to this unity is we have to be able to actually experience the love of the Father as Jesus did, which would make sense, right? Like if we're mm. gonna if we're gonna be able to give like we love because we he first loved us, 
So if we're going to be able to experience unity among one another, it means we're going to be loving one another as God loves God, which is mind-blowing. But we'll have to experience the love of God as Jesus experienced it. It's pretty that's pretty exciting that, that that's even on the, I mean, you know, eye has not seen, ears not heard. I wouldn't have thought that was on the menu for human beings, but because of Jesus, it is. But the thing I want to the highlight for the prayer movement, and I think this is why we experience so much unity in worship. He says, I'm giving them my glory, the glory that you've given me, I am giving to them so that they may be one. And so this manifestation of the spirit in glory, whatever that means, let's not figure it out right now. But I think it's something we experience in the prayer and worship movement. And that is a key to John 17 unity. Like if you think about what Jesus is actually saying, he's saying the father gave me this glory. This glory is like our glue that makes us one. And I'm giving it to them so they can be one with each other and with us. And this is before he pours out the Holy Spirit. So obviously, Holy Spirit is like the mediator of this. But that's really exciting. (laughs) And I think we could, it also maybe can give us more confidence. Like there's going to come a time when he's going to pour out a grace, like a glory that's going to be leading us globally into this John 17 unity. He's just going to start releasing it. It's going to happen. Um, yeah. We're going to be like, what's going on? Why do I irrationally love these people? What is this love that we're experiencing? And it, it's going to have its effect. It's going to be like a gift, a grace gift from the Lord. Anyway, mm. I, that's my 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 that's sense good. of maybe how God might pull it off. So. Yeah. So, so you said there were three or four things there. I don't know if you got through all three or four of them, but maybe if you could just recap them real quick. Yeah, I won't go verse by verse, but there's... I'm kind of just winging it a little bit. There's sure. there's three there's three times this phrase is repeated. Let them be one as we are one. And the first time, you know, it's it's in John seventeen eleven, and and Jesus talks about guarding them or keeping them in the Father's name. That that would be key. He talks about sanctifying them in the truth. This is kind of the fourth one. That he doesn't mention that directly with the the prayers, but I think that's another key. So being set apart, wholly devoted to the truth. He talks about the glory that the Father has given him being given to us. That's another key. And then uh, finally, the love that we'd experience the love of the Father as Jesus did. That's another key to seeing John 17 happen. So anyway, those are some of the things from Jesus' prayer. But I just encourage all all our listeners, get into that prayer, unpack it, there are amazing treasures in there that that I haven't seen yet and that yeah. you will see as you dive in. Yeah, the other the other part I'll just mention too in that prayer is Jesus prays that we would be one that the world would know. And so there's that missional dimension to this too where there's something about our unity and our oneness that's connected to being a witness to the world of who Jesus is. And that, you know, the fullness, I think, of all God wants to do in terms of the Great Commission even is going to, you know, require us functioning in greater unity and oneness together to demonstrate yeah. who Jesus is. It's so true. And we, we can't have confidence that we'll fulfill that element if we aren't walking in, in greater unity. I was just with a group of international leaders, and that was something that came up a lot. They're all focused on missions and reaching the lost. And it came up so many times. Okay, if we can't walk together in unity, we know we're not going to succeed in in what God has called us to do. Yeah. And again, that's not something we can manufacture. <laughs> it's not just not arguing together, but it's really <laughs> praying for God, release that glory, release that grace to us to really love each other and uh, and to really move together in unity. So Obviously, we need to work towards it in working out our relationships with each other, <laughs> but right. it's not something we can do in our own strength, for sure. Yeah, we need to kind of do what we can. I think this is right. how God works with us all the time. Like We have a, a very limited capacity, but if we don't actually do our part and do all that we can, we're not going to be able to pull on heaven's resources. He's just going to be like, no, you guys, you know, like... You're not even doing what I told you to do. 
I can't really bless that. On the other hand, if we're willing to do, you know, fairly simple things with one another, I think that will really attract the grace of God and, you know, measures beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can hope to do in the natural. Yeah, I love it. Well, hey, I'd love to kind of wrap up our conversation with with some practical advice for people. I'm guessing some people are going to be stirred about this. There might be some people who are like you were when you were younger and they they go, kind of bothers me that there's division and denominations and like, you know, they they read John 17, they go, yes, Jesus, I love that. So I think we probably probably touched on a couple practical things. Prayer obviously is, is one of them uh, that we want to do is we want to pray Jesus's prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. But what would you say to just everyday Christian who says, I want to be a part of this thing the Lord's doing in making us one. What are some next steps for people moving forward? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I would say the thing that's coming to mind is not what I thought would come to mind, but you know, it's going to be through faith. And so Mm. everything in the kingdom happens through faith. And so I would just encourage people, ask the Lord, how do I agree with this? This idea that Jesus gets what he prays for and just bring it to the Lord. Lord, I think this is true. I think this is going to happen. Now, how can I agree with this? And it may be something as simple as, well, you need to forgive your brother. Yeah. Uh, It may be God leads you in a different direction, something that's going to create greater unity. But but I would just say, start with, start with a step of faith and ask the Lord, how can I, you know, I want to tangibly agree with Jesus prayer. Would you show me what that looks like in my life? I would say, and this is what I was going to share. I'll just jump into that. But just felt to, to emphasize faith as a first step. If you go to Philippians 2 and just read that for the rest of your life, that is, I feel like, <laughs> the greatest practical steps. And then a, a flip side of that would be, which is a parallel passage, if you read John 13. Mm. What Jesus does in John 13 when he washes the disciples' feet is basically he, he models what's talked about in Philippians 2. But Basically, Paul is saying, have this mind or this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, this is how Jesus thought. Now, I want you to think the same way. And if we'll do this, you know, and and basically it it describes Jesus' thought, which was this self-emptying pattern of life where he's in the form of God. He doesn't grasp onto that. He could have. He empties himself, and it's just like this continual lowering of himself and humbling of himself all the way down until he dies. And then it's not just a death, it's the death of a cross, the worst possible death. And then God highly exalts him. Like on the practical side, like that's what God is looking for to release Mm. this. It's just this people who are willing to say yes to the mind of Christ in this radical humbling of ourselves, kind of like what you mentioned in that Francis Chan quote of, you know, it's hard to, (laughs) yeah. when someone is just like at a humble place, it's really hard to, you know, where they're just like crying out to God with everything they have, they're they're on their knees in humility. It's hard to fight, you know? Yeah. And and, and so it's going to take that kind of humility and that commitment to just like going to this low place if we're going to see Jesus prayer answered, that, that's some of the practicals, I think. And then I just also say the epistles have a ton, all those little passages where it's like, hey, you know, this is how we should act together. There's right. always so much great stuff in there on the practicals of how we walk out unity. It really just comes down to, to loving each other and laying down our lives for each other. And, and once we learn how to do that, we're going to we're going to see incredible breakthroughs in this. Mm hmm. Yeah, in many ways it's simple, but it's not easy <laughs> when you get down to it, uh, the one-on-one relationships with people. Right. What have been some like challenging situations for this, Matthew, that you've seen personally? I'm just curious, you know, as you say <laughs> that, like, what are, you th- what are you thinking about in particular? Maybe just one, one or two examples. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Last time we did a podcast together, you did the same thing and you flipped the, <laughs> you flipped it around and started asking me questions. 
And you I, just you just did it again. I just I did. It. It. I save it for the end. I don't know why I did that. I just I was just <laughs> I was just genuinely curious. Just having. Yeah. You well, know. I mean, I, I think when you have a what I would consider even just a healthy local church, you have a diverse population of ages, backgrounds, you know, income levels, life experiences, and just the practical challenges of pulling together people that may not have common interests, common life experiences, common denominator is Jesus. And that's, again, why we have to be in Him, because that's the reason we can be together. But I think when the rubber meets the road and you're day-to-day with these people and you don't understand why they're doing certain things and you know their way is not your way and their perspective is not your perspective. I'm not talking about foundational <laughs> what it means to be a Christian 101. Obviously, we need to agree on some of those things. But just the practical living out in real life relationships with people that are different than us, <laughs> the, those kinds of things, um, it's easy to get sort of fleshly about it, I guess you could say, and get annoyed and, and just in our, in our weakness, in our humanity, you know, the, those things become, can become very challenging. And then I've seen Seen it on a macro level too, with with ministries and churches trying to work together, <laughs> and and running into, you know, misunderstandings or tense situations, trying to figure out how you'd think. Oh yeah, why don't, why don't you just get together and do do something together? <laughs> and there's just layers of complexity to that, which is just shows you how much of a miracle it's going to be that Jesus is going to pull this off. Totally, totally. I mean, it's funny because, and I, you know, I think the enemy likes to maybe accuse me too, you know, just because I, I love unity so much, but I've been involved in tons of conflict. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, it's like, wow, the unity guy, he's, he's really uh <laughs> conflict a lot. And, and so it is, yeah, it can be so challenging and it's everything from kind of like just, okay, we're just not syncing up. Uh, like what you described in maybe a local church setting, we just have slightly different ways of doing things to, you know, outright conflict. Okay. Wow. This really isn't working. And so what I would yeah. say is that we would be envisioned to walk through conflict and difficult situations in hope to just have Jesus prayer in our hearts. Like, okay, Lord, I'm in conflict right now. This is not looking like what you prayed for. And yet I want to treat these people that I'm in conflict with in the way that you taught us to. And I know that even though this is happening now, like we are coming into something greater, maybe that would just be an encouragement to folks and just to have like a a deep mercy and love for those there, there may be experiencing conflict with in the church, even knowing, okay, we're, we're here now, but this isn't where we're going to be. Um, ultimately mm. this isn't, you know, this is just a temporary thing, even though, it, I mean, in the moment when you're in conflict, it seems so intractable. I know that's a problem I have is like, you're just right. like, oh, it seems so impossible to move. Yeah, no, that's great. The other thing that's coming to my mind is there's this Andy Stanley quotes about leadership, but he says, do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone, mm. uh, which I think is a great quote. And I think about it in terms of unity, you know, just the relationship that's right in front of us, you know, Heidi Baker talks about stopping for the one in terms of outreach and evangelism. But I think we can't steward all the relationships that are happening everywhere and fix everything, but we can reconcile with somebody that we have an issue with and we can forgive the person that we're becoming embittered towards. And um, we can reach across the aisle to somebody that's different than us. I don't mean the political aisle. I just mean (laughs) build a a bridge with somebody, although that's part of it too, isn't it? But build a bridge to somebody that maybe is not somebody that we would naturally click with. Um, Just those little things, I think, make, make a huge difference. And as that spirit of unity begins to fill the church and we all begin to do those things and learn to love each other, you know, we're going to see, see us getting closer, I think, to Jesus's vision. That's good. I think do something to do something that in faith that costs you something for someone else, not for a cause, not for a, 
you know, but for another person, it's good. Nothing creates unity like sacrifice. That's why places where we're seeing persecution, people are laying down their lives for each other. Literally, there's a ton of unity because they're like, this person loved me enough to die for me. Now, we don't have to necessarily die for one another, but we can, even that word that we usually translate, lay down your life, can be translated either as lay aside your life or, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to mean dying. It can mean just giving of your life for someone in a sacrificial way. That creates incredible unity together. I mean, try it in your marriage, right? It's like, right. uh, It's like, uh, that'll touch your wife's heart or, or vice versa. And uh, we, we really need to see that happen in the body when we actually uh, really care for each other and meet each other's needs in a way that actually costs us something. I think that's, that's powerful. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I love that you mentioned marriage because that, that, that's where the rubber really meets the road, <laughs> isn't it? The relationships closest to us. Right. If you're in a Christian marriage, that means the oneness includes our family too, right? That's right. Uh, that's right. No, I yeah. mean, it's, it's a it's a challenge for all of us, but what a, what a prop, like what promises we have to be able to meet, to enter into those challenges, you know, just to be reminded. Exactly. Like this incredible access that we have, incredible promises uh, that Jesus would be saying, Hey, I'm going to give you the glory I had with the father before the foundation of the world. It's like, that'll help you. (laughs) Yes. So, so good. And it's really good when you get a little taste of it. Psalm 133 is right. How good and pleasing it is when we dwell together in unity. It's so good. It's so pleasing. So enjoyable. Amen. Well, Jonathan, I I think there's a lot more to mine out on this topic, but I think we're good for today. This has been awesome. Do you uh, have any closing thoughts? No, I I just hope people leave here just knowing that Jesus is going to get what he prayed for, uh, just with a confidence that the father's going to hear that prayer, answer that prayer and, and just coming out saying, Hey, let's, let's, let's be agreeing with the prayer of Jesus, both in our lifestyle and in our, our prayer and worship. So. Yeah. Amen. Jonathan, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been great. Amen. Thanks so much for having me, Matthew. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today. And don't forget, Jesus changes everything.